Greetings, this is Anthony Haynes. Welcome to the Grey Lit Cafe podcast brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, sustainability and research. In this edition, we focus on the issue of sponsored research. And with me to discuss this, I have David Baxter of the University of Alberta. David is a member of GreyNet's Education and Training Committee, and he also manages www.graylitguides.com. We've put the link into the show notes. So welcome, David. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, it's great to be back. Yes, this is devotion beyond the call of duty by a long way. You very kindly <laughs> agreed to do a second interview for us. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Let's start. Let's dive straight into the topic um, of sponsored research. And, and with particular reference, I think, to grey literature of gambling, which is a field that you've done a lot of work in. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you say that you feel there are some serious issues around business of sponsored research. So first of all, could I just ask you to outline what you think the, the issues are? Right. So in gambling, a lot of the research is either, well, some of it is sponsored by the gambling industry directly or yep. um, sponsored by governments, but governments who are, you know, have legalized gambling are getting yes. these huge gambling revenues and put a portion of it towards gambling treatment and prevention, but also research. And so in my project, I've collected and analyzed many, many of these reports. I'm focusing on five countries. Uh, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, I've also interviewed 23 researchers who have done research reports for these governments, um, as well as published academic articles who are gambling researchers. And uh, to answer your question, uh, a few of the issues that I found just in general is that Mm -hmm. the work of doing these sponsored research reports doesn't have very good uh, career incentives compared to some other academic work. Interesting. Yeah. And as for the reports themselves, I, I would say simply they're often not written to be read by anyone. Yes. Yes. And then some of the the research questions I don't think are very impactful in the first place. Mm, that's fascinating. So there are serious question marks over <laughs> this this type of thing. Um, let's explore those issues one by one then so um, let, let's start with the, uh, the the question of academic uh, recognition yeah so uh, as far as far as the career incentives um it, it's it's tricky because the sponsored research it can be very very important because it's answering questions about public policies and things that might change in the government but as far as research the the questions can be more basic and from an academic point of view um, it could be deemed to be uninteresting work or the type of thing that wouldn't get published in academic journals because it's not considered you know, groundbreaking or new scientific yeah. methods. It's kind of doing the work to report on what's happening you know, in, in your country or in your province. Yes. So that's, that's the difficulty because, well, on the one hand, bringing in grant money, you know, universities love when you bring in grant money um, <laughs> yeah. one way or another. But uh, there's also the pressure to publish uh, in academic venues. Um, it's often called publish or, or perish. And that it's, it's been a bit of a fight to get reports like um, gray literature to be recognized on the same level. In, it's, a bit so, it's a bit softer in, in some other countries like in Canada, but in, I know in the UK, it's, it's quite um, strictly outlined in the R, REF, the Research Excellence Framework, where your 
number of journal articles is is very important. Yes, sure. Um, sure. And there's a section called there's a section called impact. And there you can kind of tell mm. the story of what your gray reports have done, but that's, yes. um, it counts for about 15% kind of of your total score, um, yeah. when you're just given a, a number at the end of it all. So I, I'd say it's like that in, in other places that don't, don't lay it out in a, in a rubric with percentages that that's, um, kind of the level people feel it's at, um, yes, at their I university. See. Yes, sure. Sure. And then. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting, some listeners will be familiar with the San Francisco Declaration or DORA as it's known, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that kind of initiative might change things or not. But um, you, you said yep. the second issue you felt was that the reports are, are often not written to be read, and I laugh because I know what you mean, but uh, could I push you to tell us a bit more about that idea? Yeah, so I think um, this is that is, a, that is a bit harsh, and I, I'm looking back <laughs> as far as as far as 25 years and things have improved a lot since then and the needs have changed since then but i think that yeah a lot of, a lot of these reports let's say the the topic is uh, youth gambling or problems with gambling online you know what are what are the harms of that it's um the research question can be quite quite vague um and mm. just to just to understand the what it's like that the nature and extent of gambling is a way it's been described and it, there's mm. just you don't know to whom you're teaching about the nature and extent of gambling or why um i i think why this has ended up happening i i mentioned there's the the gambling industries or or the governments getting these gambling revenues they they want to fund these gambling research programs but i think you know, the main point of that is to say, we've invested, you know, X million dollars into problem gambling research. But just to kind of say that we did and not because they're interested in in changing policies, um, because um, they're quite dependent on those gambling revenues and the yes, kind of indeed. motivated to stay in the status quo. So that's, you know, those are the cases where we get these kind of broad topics like youth gambling or online gambling, but not clear objectives or audiences. So there's just the report isn't really written in a way that, you know, tells a story or mm. gives, you know, concrete recommendations that, you know, policymakers might want to actually follow. Some of the researchers I interviewed, you know, described it as like, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> I don't know why I'm writing this report. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's quite yeah. interesting. Um, some have got quite frustrated with this lack of direction, and some have even negotiated um, a new re approach to report writing, kind of like the the sandwich thesis that uh, graduate students do. The sandwich thesis. What's what, what's that? Oh yeah, I I I quite like this. So um, traditionally, a graduate thesis would be written with an introduction and kind of chapters that flow together like a book and into a conclusion. Yes. But um, in a sandwich thesis, let's say instead of three chapters that build on one another, you write three independent journal articles. You might even go get them published in published and peer reviewed in journals before submitting your thesis. But kind of each chapter kind of works standalone. Yeah. And that yes. so that works better for the students because they're they're creating publications, um, academic publications as they go. Yes, indeed. And, yes. and getting peer review. Um, feedback on it. And so 
this has the exact same benefits for more senior researchers who are writing these reports, especially with the, um, so they'll, they'll do the project and write separate papers, but still write, um, write an executive summary with kind of the recommendations and conclusions and the major findings, um, kind of all those things, let's say the commissioning government, you know, wants to see and wants mm. to be advised on. Um, you know, there's the strong feeling as writers and readers of reports that most people only read the executive summary anyway. So um, yeah, sure. you, you still give a full, the full executive summary that the sponsor wants, uh, but all the detailed stuff, you can write it in a way that suits your own career, uh, your yeah. career goals and measurement more. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And then you, you said that in relation to whether reports prove to be impactful or not, you said uh, some reports might not even be asking potentially impactful questions. So again, could I just press you on your thinking behind that? Yeah, this is an interesting one. It came to me um, in in Auckland, New Zealand. They they have a think tank on gambling policy, and they were developing the Auckland Code for gambling research. And one of the one of the points, which is a simple but uh, a simple point, but that raises a lot of questions, is that researchers should only ask useful questions. But um, and <laughs> um, just as a as a code of conduct, it, it's you know quite difficult um, or a- abstract, let's say. Mm-hmm. But th- the way I see it, um, having looked through you know over a thousand sponsored reports, is that so much of this sponsored research is framed around, uh, I would say, around gamblers rather than gambling. So kind of thinking, I'll give some some examples. Yeah. So for example. Um, very common questions are what percentage of people have gambling problems or, you know, what are the characteristics of these people yeah. you know, that gets them hooked on slot machines? What's going on in their brain? So, you know, what about these people is getting them hooked on slot machines rather than the other way around? What is it about these slot machines that's getting people hooked? And so with the latter, you know, that actually brings up some useful questions and answers for how you could, you know, inform mm. some policy decisions about maybe, making the slot machines, you know, go slower so you don't lose your money as fast or take yes. taking just taking them out of places um having them having fewer of them in poorer neighborhoods. So that's mm-hmm. um yeah. That is something you can really act on. This was a a big criticism in Australia um in the the 2010 inquiry which I I discussed last episode um yes that um a lot of the sponsored research doesn't ask policy questions or look into potential changes. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is improving in some places. Right. Um, and I would say is uh, already quite good in some places. So it depends on the policies, though. So in New Zealand, the government has been taking a public health approach to gambling treatment and research since 2003. It's right there in the Gambling Act. This is the Ministry of Health's responsibility. They got to do it from a public health point of view. Great Britain and Australia have, or some Australian states have followed suit more recently. Um, we don't have it <laughs> anywhere in Canada yet, as far as I know, where a government has embraced a, this, a public health approach yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Uh, you've given us a whole range of insights there into sponsored re- reports, insights based on your research. If I could ask you to stand back from that a bit and look at a big picture big picture question, which is, if you were able to change something about sponsored research and sponsored reports, what would you want to change? 
Sure. So if I could, if I could have one wish about mm-hmm. um, these government-sponsored reports for yeah. topics like gambling, I'd like to see more more care put into who's responsible for sponsoring the research. So, uh, for example, if you imagine if the Ministry of Health sponsors gambling research versus the Ministry of Finance. Right. Sponsoring gambling research. You might imagine how that pans out. And that is how <laughs> it actually yeah. pans out, having re- reviewed all these. And and that's only fair because the Ministry of Health's responsibility is to keep people healthy and the Ministry of Finance's job is to make money. <laughs> so um, you have to think about what um, how the government you know views and deals with gambling. Some governments set up arm's length and independent gambling research organizations, which work to some degree, but then uh, it still matters whether you know they they report to the Ministry of Health or the Ministry of Finance, kind of how their research agenda shapes up. Yes. So yeah, that that's something I'd I'd like to see um, you yes. know, done with a bit more care and protection. So that's a that's inter- So that's a change um, on the side of the sponsors or in relation to the sponsors. Is there also a change on the research side that you would want to see? Yeah, sure. So something that researchers could do themselves. So I talked a little bit about that sandwich thesis thing before. Yes. Um, so I, I'd like to see more negotiation and collaboration between researchers and sponsors um, to achieve. Um, so researchers can achieve kind of the needs in their career, but um, they can also bring more to the project itself and just with their knowledge and expertise. So when I interviewed these gambling researchers, it was really interesting because Sponsored research has, you know, involvement from the sponsor more than uh, kind of academic research grants. But some people called it involvement, uh, but some looked at it negatively and called it interference. Um, right. but some looked at it positively and called it co-creation. Yes, um, interesting. And yeah. really liked, yeah, just being able to be in the room and kind of have the conversation and and shape what the what the project would be like and what it could achieve. Yes. So yeah, I, I like to see, you know, researchers approach it positively, not as um, a compromise on academic freedom, which is mm. kind of where you might see it as interference, but, you know, as an opportunity to, to shape the project to, you know, work, win, 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 I guess, like serve the yes. government's kind of requirements, check their boxes, but also the researcher's own career and, you know, even, you know, make it even better, more positive impact for the public, kind of the the, mm. the point of the research, I suppose. I'm really fascinated by that point. In, in my work as communications consultant, that we often have that kind of discussion uh, when people are writing grant bids, actually, where I suggest mm. that, you know, they people could have a more creative relationship with their stakeholders. Um, we've had a debate in the UK about the relationship between knowledge transfer and knowledge exchange. Uh, mm. Knowledge transfer is where the university constructs or discovers knowledge and then goes out and tells people about it and knowledge exchange has much more of a sense of there's a conversation going on and actually both sides you know the universities and business or government or whatever it might be both sides are learning from each other okay a question we always like to ask um you've read a whole range of resources on this topic is there a particular resource you'd like to recommend sure i'll I'll choose a couple things if you're if you're interested in a in a report about uh, conflicts of interest in gambling. Uh, there's one 
Uh, it's called Fair Game about producing gambling research, um, and that mm -hmm. was published by Goldsmiths University. It's a it's a few years old now, but it's uh, right. I think I think really changed a lot of people's thinking on how gambling research is sponsored, um, even by independent organizations. Um, yep. And then another, um, just for interesting research on gambling in general, and not just you know the prevalence of gambling addiction, kind of new and cool ways of looking at it. Uh, there's a new open access journal called Critical Gambling Studies, uh, uh -huh. which has a, a few issues now. It, it is out of the University of Alberta. Right. They have a few issues of um, you know academic articles, but they also have a blog. That's oh, right. So you know things that are. Uh, less dense and shorter, but I, still equally interesting. Um, you know, poker, lotteries, bingo, like things that really don't get a lot of attention. Um, mm. The big body of gambling research. Mm. So gambling's interesting. Well, thank you. Uh, with those um, recommendations and the other texts we've mentioned, we will put the citations, uh, the exact references into the show notes as well. But uh, David, it's been fantastic. We've been able to benefit from your experience and your insight into grey literature, particularly on gambling, I think both from your um, previous sort of professional involvement with it and indeed from your research at the University of Alberta. So yeah, it's actually a privilege to be able to, to hear insights from, from all of that kind of learning. So I'm really grateful to you. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. It's been great. Well, thank you, Anthony. I, you know, I enjoyed getting to talk about it and thank you for having me on again. It was fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Grey Lit Cafe is edited by Dr. Bart Hallmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specialises in grey literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers and reports. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra. Thank you.